0: everyone you're listening to Ed Young Radio Ed Pastor's Fellowship Church and we want to thank you for listening with us These next few minutes together can change your life and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com Enjoy the message Today I want to talk to you about a subject that you need to know about I want to talk to you about how to have an affair How do you end up sleeping in the wrong bed if you're single You need to understand this information because 90% of you will get married and you need to know the finer points of sleeping in the wrong bed. If you're married, you've got to understand how to commit adultery. It's very, very important because the pathway to promiscuity is a predictable one. It seems crazy that you can officiate a wedding like I've done hundreds of times and see two starry-eyed lovers just soaking each other up. It's hard to imagine that these people, as they leave the church and after they've danced together and after they've honeymooned at some beautiful resort and after they've started life together, it's hard to imagine that one could end up sleeping with someone else. But it happens. It happens. It's happening in record numbers. Men are committing adultery. Women are committing adultery. It's popular to have an affair. How do you have an affair? If you wanna know, here's how you do it. Number one, it's a four-step process. Number one, convince yourself that it will not happen to you. It's very important. You get married, you say to yourself, you know what, it's not gonna happen to me. There's no way. I'm impervious to this whole ordeal. I'm not going to have an affair. There is no way. Pipe dream, not me. You get married for a while. Usually you crank out a couple of kids. The woman resigns from her number one position, that of being a wife. She becomes the mother, chases a career and the kids. Then you've got the father resigning from being the husband, his number one position, being a husband. It's not being a father, being a husband. He's a father, spends some time with the kids, but he's chasing the career. He retires his romantic jersey from the rafters in the family room. Hey. I wore that jersey when I romanced her. Throw in an attractive coworker, neighbor. Then after a while, you call the lawyers up to pick up the pieces, and you pay them squillions of dollars. That's what happens. That's, that's the game. You got to say, you know, there's no way I'll commit adultery. You got to very you got to get very apathetic very predictable just 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 relax just put it on autopilot concentrate on your feelings and the marital drift will take place and that's how it happens the first step you got to convince yourself it will not happen to you the second step the second step is huge you have to cultivate the relationship with the third party there's going to be someone out there you're going to click with, someone of the opposite sex. It happens. I don't care if you've been married for 30 years. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a coach, teacher, real estate. You're going to click with members of the opposite sex. It just happens. Well, what do you do with that? What happens when you click with someone? You begin to, to mess around mentally. You begin to say, wow, this person understands me. This, this person relates to me. This person looks me in the eye when I talk to them. I like this person. And you find yourself making up excuses to talk with this person, to walk by this person's office, to go running when you know she's outside or to go to the gym when he's there. You, you, you cultivate the relationship. You drop hints, subtle hints, kind of test the waters. Hey man, if I were single, You know, and then you begin to cross the line. You begin to share stuff about your marriage. I wish my wife acted the way you act. I wish my husband would would understand me the way you do. You share lunches together, and you spend more and more time together. You basically stop really working on your marriage because you're working. On this relationship, you're cultivating this relationship. That's the second step. You say, it's not going to happen. You convince yourself it's not. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. Then you cultivate this relationship with another party. Then, and it gets bad here, you begin to compare your spouse with this third party. You compare them physically, financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. You compare them, compare, compare. It's unfair to compare because you're not comparing apples with apples. You're comparing someone outside the covenant of marriage with someone in the covenant of marriage. You're not comparing this person when they deal with life in the raw. You're not comparing them when they're worrying about mortgages and insurance and car payments and carpools. It's unrealistic. They wear their cutest outfit to the gym, their best look at the office, or maybe you delve into porn. One of the insidious, one of the insidious aspects of porn is the fact that we animalize humans and humanize animals. We simply say, you know what, you're a dog in heat, I'm a dog in heat. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls. We compare our spouse to these images that are unending we see on the computer screen. Nobody can, can, can compare these people you're looking at, you're lusting over for your sexual hit, these people are totally out of the context of any relationship. They're just genitals, just bodies with parts. I can't tell you how many, how many marriages have been torn apart through pornography. Again, if, if you want to have an affair, just have a steady diet to this stuff of you know the trashy romance novels and You talk to people. And then the fourth step, basically, is you connect by having sex. You jump in the bed. Not this bed, because, see, this bed's a big bed. This represents God. This represents God and his foundation and his love and his covenant. This is a big, honking bed. This is not the kind of bed you sleep in when you commit adultery. When you commit adultery, when you have an affair. One second. When you have an affair on your spouse, you're sleeping in a little bed. You're sleeping in a ar, 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 doggy bed. You're having a little sex. Oh, you think it's big sex? It's little sex. It might start off big. It's going to get very, very little. Little sex. Little sex. Little sex. Now, we're not spawning salmon, right? We're not dogs in heat. So, let me think. Do we have little sex or big sex. It's your call. It's my call. After we connect and sleep in the wrong bed, after we have sex, we've got to learn how to do something. This is critical. We've got to learn how to lie. You've got to lie. Because first of all, you're living a lie. You're betraying someone on the deepest level. So you lie to God, <laughs> but how can we lie to God? <laughs> God's not like, wow, I didn't know you were committing adultery, thank you. I didn't know you met this person at the hotel. I didn't, I didn't know you connected with this guy that you used to date in high school on Facebook. I had, I had, I had, I had no idea that you you parked a car and you, made love in, in the back backseat. Thank you for telling me. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know you were having an affair. Thank you very much. No, you had to learn how to lie. You just lie to God. You lie to your spouse. You lie to yourself. You lie to your kids. You lie to your friends. You lie to your co-workers. You lie. I'm talking about lie. John chapter 8, verse 44. You've heard of Rosetta Stone? The devil speaks lies. That's his language. He's a liar and the father of lies. He's all about lying, twisting, exaggerating. You've got to lie. You've got to lie. Look at verse 44, John chapter 8. The Bible says he's Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we learn to lie. Then we get together and we, and we make a cocktail of compromise. We begin to hang out and rub shoulders with people that I call sinful sympathizers. You see, when you, when you sleep in the uh, hur, 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 doggy bed, you, you begin to hang out and connect with other people who are sleeping or who have slept in the uh, hur, 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 doggy bed because, you know, they, they, they feel your pain. They understand, and we lie. Over the years, I've talked to, I would say, thousands of couples who have had an affair, some wealthy, some dirt poor, some middle class, black, white, orange, polka dot, pink color, white color, every nationality, every group of people in my travels. I've talked to people who have had an affair. And here are the lies that they, that they tell themselves and others. Again, if you're going to have an affair, you got to tell these lies. Write these down. Because if you do this, you will end up, generally speaking, falling in these four categories of lies. Number one, I didn't really love my spouse when I walked down the aisle. That's a great lie. You know, I did. We got married 10 years ago in that chapel. (laughs) I, I was forced into it. I knew I shouldn't have done it. My parents made me do it. I mean, it was so expensive, I couldn't turn my back. I I didn't really mean it. I did not mean those words, man. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. You got to say that. You said it. Before God? And before witnesses, you said it. You're in covenant with your spouse. But see, you gotta lie. You gotta lie. You gotta lie. Then you gotta. Treat the marriage like a contract, not a covenant. The word covenant in the Hebrew means to cut, to cut. So back in the Hebrew, back in the biblical times, you know, God's a God of covenant, right? We're under the new covenant. The Old Testament is the old covenant. The New Testament is the new covenant. So if you would cut a covenant with someone, you would take an animal, cut the animal up in pieces, and walk through the pieces of the animal. You were saying, I'm totally committed to you, 100%. I've got your back. And if I disrespect the covenant, God, do to me what we've done to this animal. But we live in a contract crazy world, man. Got to have contracts. You can't do anything without a bunch of lawyers and contracts. Contracts, fine print, clauses, contracts, contracts, contracts. My marriage, you see, it's not a covenant. It's just a piece of paper. Come on, it's just a piece of paper. It's, it's contract. She didn't keep her end of the deal. Well, he, 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 he didn't really love me. Contract. You, you, can, you got to lie to yourself. You have to see. You've got to come up with a theology that's totally jacked up. The third lie. This one is a monster. One of the most popular lies out there if you're going to have an affair. Again, if you want to have an affair, I've told you how to do it. And this is the third category of lies. You've got to tell yourself, here we go. God just wants me to be happy. (laughs) Well, my God just wants me to be happy. Yeah, man, you know, I'm not really happy. And I know God wants me to be happy. I'm still looking for that verse in the Bible. God wants Ed to be happy. Happy and peppy and bursting with love. Wow, that's what God wants. He wants me to be happy. That's not in the Bible. God does not want you or me to be happy. He does not want you or me to be happy. He doesn't. He wants us to be obedient, He wants us to be faithful. Feelings will follow. We have moments of happiness, I'm not saying that. But to sit there and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sleep in that small bed because God just wants me to be happy. <laughs> yeah, you have some happy times in a small bed. Sex outside of marriage is fun. It has its kicks, but as I always say, the kickbacks, wha Like Chuck Norris on steroids. Number four, here's another great one. This is a great lie. I say the last two lies, these these are great. The fourth one, if I've told you how many times I've heard this, you wouldn't even believe it. Well, yes, I've slept in the small bed, but God will forgive me. God will forgive me. Oh, so you are been smart with God. You're outsmarting God. God will forgive me. Yeah, he'll forgive me. Yeah. Yeah, he will. Wow, duh. Yeah, God will forgive you. You know what I might do? I might just jump in my car right now, and I might just burglarize the convenience store down the street. I could do it. Go in there, steal some stuff, steal some money, tell them I've got a gun or a bomb or whatever, I could do that. I would get arrested, carted off to jail, and throw me in the cell, boom, boom, oh, I'm in the cell. Why did I do that? That was stupid. I just robbed the convenience store down the street. Man, that's crazy. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry, God. Please forgive me. I'm sorry I did it. (laughs) I don't know what happened to me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Question. Will God forgive me? Answer. Yes. Question. Will I still be in prison? Answer. Yes. God's not going to remove the consequences. Yeah, he'll forgive you. Forgive me. But... Try borrowing some pain from the future. Think about you having to face your God, your spouse, your kids, your friends, and tell them that you've been unfaithful. Here's the good news. We can press a button and reverse the process. Do that sound effect with me. We can press a button and reverse the process. Isn't that amazing? Because the same steps it takes to have an affair with someone who's not your spouse are sort of the same steps that we can take to have an affair with our spouse in the context of marriage. Did I hear somebody clap? Did you just get that? I'll say it again. I I don't think you were listening up in this church. I said the same steps that we take to commit adultery are the same steps that we can take to have an affair in our marriage. That's what I thought. Number one, because we're reversing it. Convince yourself it can happen to you. You ever seen a deer drinking? Paranoid, always looking, always watching. Now we shouldn't be paranoid as spouses. We should though protect our marriage by saying, you know what, it could happen to me. Has God ever called you, hey, that's a woman after my own heart. Has God ever said, oh yeah, that's a man after my own heart. Has God ever called you that? He's never called me that. He called David that. David committed adultery when he was at the top of his game. The Bible says he should have been out to war, kicking butt, but he was at home, kicking back in his palace. If you know anything about architecture, back in the day, the palace was the largest building It had a flat roof. It overlooked all the other homes. David, what are you doing? You should have been out fighting, David. What are you doing, David? had a bodyguard named Uriah. He was married to a beautiful woman. I'm talking about a biblical babe. Her name, Bathsheba. It was in the late afternoon. David knew that women bathed during that time. David knew that the cisterns caught the water and the water was warmed with the afternoon sun. He knew where Bathsheba lived. If he'd have stayed in the middle of the rooftop, kicking back, watching ESPN, enjoying his outdoor furniture, maybe smoking a Cuban cigar, everything would have been a okay but no, 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 no. He walked to the edge and the ledge. You see, you can only see Bathsheba when you're on the edge and the ledge. And the Bible says David looked at her, saw her, but the first look is not what messed him up. Lusted after her, texted her. She met him in his bedroom and they had sex. Then to top that off, a man after God's own heart, David had Bathsheba's husband Uriah, his personal bodyguard killed. A man after God's own heart. A year later, Nathan, the prophet of God, told David a story. David was a sheep herder when he was young. And this story was about a little lamb who'd been taken advantage of. And as he told David this story, David said, I'll tell you what should happen to that guy. That guy who messed around with that lamb should be killed. And Nathan said, hey, David, you're the man. Did God forgive David? No doubt. Did God cleanse David? No doubt. But the Bible said the sword never left his household. You want to read about consequences? Read about the tumultuous times of the life David led after he slept in the... Doggy bed. You don't fall when you're climbing the ladder. You fall when you're on top of the ladder. How many people are walking right now on the edge and the ledge of compromise? How many women? How many single adults? How many wives? How many husbands? How many grandparents? How many uncles? How many aunts? How many people are walking on the edge and the ledge of compromise? You see, the devil has a strategy. To take your marriage out and my marriage out. If you don't believe it, you're in la-la land. And if you're a student, you're like, man, this has nothing to do with me. I'm telling you, when you get married, oh yeah. And this strategy works. It's unbelievable. So we have to reverse and cultivate cultivate this this supernatural love with our spouse. Now, I'm not saying, and you know that God's not a forgiving God. I could tell you story after story after story of people who've messed around, who've slept in the doggy bed, and they've, and they've turned, turned to God. God has rebooted their marriage, restored their marriage. Unbelievable. Isn't that cool? But I'm saying, don't go down that road. If you've not, just don't go down the road. Because I've talked to so many, many people. I'm just trying to, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to save you a boatload of pain. That's all. A boatload of pain. It's not worth it. And if you say, well, man, I'm not sure. You could contact my office and discreetly I can give you, I bet over 100 names of people you could talk to who go, hey, man, don't do it. Girl, don't do it. Now, I understand, too. Some are saying, well, there's abuse in my marriage or whatever. I understand that, but that still does not give you the excuse to do that. I mean, yeah, if, if that's happening, you would have a biblical move, a biblical grounds to separate and divorce if there's something like that. Because people always ask me, how about the exceptions? There's some exceptions. I understand it. Generally speaking, though, remember, remember, To convince yourself, you know what? It could happen. And then cultivate, here's some good stuff, man. Cultivate your marriage. Cultivate your marriage. Have an affair with your spouse. So whenever whenever Lisa and I feel like our marriage is drifting off course, and it does, read our book, The Sex Experiment. I talk about it, and she talks about it. What happens? You're a pastor, or whatever, and your marriage starts drifting. It'll drift. What do you do? Well, somebody, whether it be the Husband or the wife going to grab the helm and f- correct the chorus, right? Now we're sailing again, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we got to be creative. Let me stop for a second. This might mess some of you up, but it's so true. Everybody hearing my voice is a creative genius. Yeah, but I can't sing. I can't dance. I can't act. You're a creative genius. Anytime we say we're not creative, that's... Throwing weak stuff up to God. God's laughing like, what? You're, you're, you're made in my image. So, if you're a husband and wife in marriage, just grab the helm and begin to get creative. Lisa and I get in a rut sometimes. In the prison cell of predictability, we do that sometimes. What do we do? Okay, okay. I'm going to take the helm. She's going to take the helm. That's the beauty of marriage. see, it's, 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 it's awesome when it's working right. It's awesome. I like what Galatians says too. Galatians talks about this. Galatians chapter six, verse eight. You'll you'll see it behind me. Galatians chapter six, verse eight. It says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. We're not gonna get God's best. That's what it means. So God says, okay, I want you to have big sex in the big bed. It's either big sex or little sex. And sometimes this is like a moment of, of like, Nirvana for some. They're like, wait a minute. You mean God wants me to have big sex in my life? Yes. When we do it God's way. So cultivate that relationship with your spouse. Date night, mate night. Once a week. Date night, mate night. Date night, mate night. I don't have the money yet. You could go to McDonald's. You could make some coffee, put it in the thermos, and, and grab a rowboat and and. and Row around some little lake or the Everglades for those here who are watching in Florida. You know what, it's not about money. It's not about that. What are you doing? I also like the B-52 principle. Remember the B-52s back in the day? Our lips are sealed. Remember that? <laughs> Was that the one? Yeah, I love that. No, 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 no. Our lips are sealed. Is Belinda Carlisle? Is that her name? Is That's is that the Go-Go's. What did I say? Not the B, yeah, there were a group too. I'm sorry, I got it mixed up. I got my music mixed up. That's terrible. How did I do that? I have a processing disorder. I know I do. Yeah, I meant, I totally, I don't know what I'm talking about now. Yeah, B-50, I not know what, yeah, B-52. The B-52s were, they were a band too, weren't they? What did they sing? Love Shack. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. What was, that's horrendous. Anyway here's what I'm saying. Just forget that. We'll edit that out. <laughs> I get so excited sometimes. Anyway, no, uh, what I'm saying is b 52. And, and Lisa and I write about this, and we've spoken about this a lot. If you're married or when you get married, all right, right, 52. Take a break. Take a break. At least I would say two breaks every 52 weeks. b 52. Be break. So in other words, you got a year. You're doing the date night, mate night, right? And then take breaks for just you and your spouse. You could go camping together for a night or two. It, or you could go to some expensive resort. It doesn't matter. You begin to do that because God's a God of rhythm, right? You begin to do that, and I'm telling you, you will begin to have an affair with your spouse. You don't have to waste money, time, creativity, innovation. Don't waste it in the small bed. Don't do that. Just say, you know what? I'm going to get out of that and jump into that. I I am going to cultivate this relationship. Marriage takes work. I mean, I'm just going to tell you. And so often, it's not the easiest thing. It's the hardest thing. But it can become the greatest thing when you're willing to Work. Say it with me. Work. It's worth your work. Now, the third step, how to have an affair with your spouse. Compare your spouse. Not with somebody else. Oh, this is good right here. Compare your spouse with Christ's relationship to the church. What's the church? A bunch of moral foul ups. That's you, that's me. Jesus loves us unconditionally, self. Sacrificially, so I compare Lisa not to uh, no, to, to this connection with Jesus and the church. I know it's tempting to compare your husband with no, nah, don't do it. Compare him with Christ and the church because you've got forgiveness, you got reconciliation, you've got love. Basically, the Bible is a big honking love story. That's what it is. It's a, it's a love affair that God has with man. Isn't that cool? So, think about what God does. Man, you can even think about God in these things. Definitely. But there's one more. Connect with your spouse regularly. Connect with your spouse regularly. The Bible says that we should be intimate with our spouse regularly, what happens Inside the bedroom affects what happens outside the bedroom. What happens outside the bedroom affects what happens inside the bedroom. Here's what's weird about the little bed. Okay, when you get in the little bed and, and, you know, when you have sex before marriage, here's what's weird about the little bed. Sex is about sex. Am I going too fast? Sex is about sex. Thrills and chills of sex. And sex in a little bed is good for a while. It's fun and all that. Okay, yeah, sex is about sex before marriage. But once you jump into the big bed, the rules change. You're like, somebody changed the rules, man. Before marriage, sex was about sex. Stay with me now. Now I'm married. And sex is about non-sexual stuff. The way I talk to my spouse, the way I relate to my spouse, the way I have eye contact with my spouse, the way I serve my spouse. Sex is about non-sexual stuff. You see the genius of God. That's why God does not say when it comes to sex, no, 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 no. no. He doesn't say that. He says, wait. He says, do it my way. We connect regularly by having sex. We realize sex is about non-sexual stuff. I got this email from a friend of mine, and this guy's named Roger he's a not a believer. Cool guy. I met him uh, through, through, through fishing several years ago. And he asked me, you know, what I did for a living. And I said, Roger, you won't believe what I do for a living. He goes, yeah, yeah, try me. I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, you're lying. I said, no, man, I'm serious. He goes, you're not a pastor. He goes, you don't look like one. I said, what's one supposed to look like? So anyway, he asked me, you know, about our church and everything. And he said, Hey, do you ever, you know, like, do you have any books or whatever? I go, Yeah, you know, I've, I've written a number of books, about a dozen books. And I said, My wife and I, Roger, are writing a book about sex called The Sex Experiment. He's like, Man, send me one of those books. <laughs> He's married with a family and all that. So I just sent him one and, and he wrote me back this, this email. This is, this is classic. I mean, it really, really meant a lot to me. Kind of brought tears to my eyes, to be honest. Ed, Elisa. I read the book, it was excellent. Okay, he says, um, The one that hit home the most was the chapter about the trust fund. I always had thought that my parents' biggest gift to me is the way they've lived their marriage through good and bad times and how they've made it work. I've been trying to instill the same principles and give my kids the same gift my parents have given me. One of the things that really helped me was what you said about lust. <laughs> he said, um, He said one of the things that really helped me was what you said about lust and not placing yourself in a position of weakness. I've, I've pressed that delete button over and over. Even last week on a flight to Las Vegas, I sat next to a very attractive woman and at the end of the flight, she asked me if I wanted a ride to the hotel. He said it might've been just a friendly gesture, but nonetheless, I did not accept. Great job, congratulations. And he signs his name, Roger, and then he puts P.S. This is, you have to know this guy to appreciate this. He's very direct, I love him. He goes, up, Ed, the title is Deceiving. (laughs) I love it. He said, the book has nothing to do with sex and all to do with the challenges of having a successful married life. Thanks. Roger is right. You see what I'm saying to you? The book, yeah, it's called The Sex Experiment. It's about having intimacy for seven days. I know that, blah, blah, blah. But it's about non sexual stuff as well. So here's the deal God wants the best for every person's life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, no matter how many times. You failed, I failed, we've all messed up, right? We've all, we're, we're all sinners, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, everybody's a sin, sin, sinner. God's love and God's design for our sexuality is bigger than anything we can throw at him. And I wanna challenge you, married couples, to do it God's way. Hey, singles, just, just, just I challenge you to say, God, I wanna do it your way. Students, God, I wanna do it your way because God's way works. The 1960s, the sexual revolution took place. Now, a lot of it, a lot of the sexual revolution was not that great. Some of it was okay. I would argue that the sexual revolution was basically an illusion that has caused some worldwide pollution. God's come along and God said, you know what? I've got pure sex. I invented it. I thought it up. And you can have the solution to the pollution when you do it my way. So let's start a sexual revolution today. What do you say? What do you say? All right. We're about out of time. And let me, let me get to, uh, tell, you, tell you one quick thing. One quick thing, we're about out of time. Okay. This, this, is, this is kind of crazy. I know for some of you like, man, this is wild. But we have, developed the coolest dessert, the coolest Valentine's gift ever. You know what it's called? Sexual chocolate. So when I say sexual chocolate, you say sexual chocolate. Sexual chocolate. There you go, sexual chocolate. There you go, all right. Here's what's so cool about the sexual chocolate. What a great Valentine's gift. It's for singles and married couples. All you do is this. It costs us, you know, dollars to to get this candy with you know the the words on it five dollars is all it costs it'll go to help putting this book and stuff all over the world but if you buy this okay we've written a devotion online for every single and every married couple here for seven days starting next tuesday next tuesday is the worldwide marriage week did you know that from Tuesday until Tuesday. From this Tuesday, culminating with Valentine's is the worldwide marriage week. And so we're gonna start this experiment. How cool is that? Tuesday. Now it's not a contest, like, okay, we made seven out of seven. We, 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 we I mean first time we did this experiment, hate to admit this, but on day six, I was just too tired. And Lisa woke me up, she goes, eh, hey, remember we got this experiment. I said, I'm too tired, I'm too tired. So. It's okay. Don't, it's not about scorekeeping. It is, though, about seeing what God wants us to do in marriage and also if you're single. And I, I got I to borrow somebody's glasses. I can't, man. I, I'm having some trouble with my eyes. You got something I can see up close? Anybody? Yeah, thank you, Renee. Thank you, Renee. Those are cool. All right. I went to the eye doctor this week, and um, he said I need to. My IQ just kicked up about 25 points. All right, this is sexual chocolate. Well, you sound excited, sexual chocolate. <laughs> okay, the first one is, check this out, priority. What's the priority in marriage? The marriage. What's the priority in family? The marriage. What's priority with kids? The marriage. Marriage first, kids second. I will give my life for our four kids, but if you want to be a great parent, one of the great things is put the priority on your marriage. Unity. That's what it's about. Unity. Two become one. In the act of sex, you don't know where one body ends, the other begins. Unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, one in three. Legacy. You want to leave a legacy to launch kids with great trajectory, marriages, family? Boom. Sexual chocolate. Oh, you're fired up now. Loyalty. Oh, somebody help me with loyalty. Is that great? Loyalty. We, we we've forgotten how to be loyal it's a, man loyalty loyalty i'm loyal to you baby come hell or hot water divinity it's all about god sex started in heaven creativity we're all creative geniuses let's bring creativity to the marriage people say oh i want romance i want romance that's just that's creativity that's what romance is finally purity. The marriage bed should be undefiled. Even if you have, again, here's, here's the great thing about God. Even if you've slept in this, even if you could litter the stage with doggy beds, litter the stage with them, guess what? God, reboot, delete, restore, and change your life. I'm not saying, though, that you're not going to still have some of the consequences. You know that from the life of David. But I am saying, based on God's Word and what I've seen and know in my own life, Telling you greatness will be the result. So, get your sexual chocolate if you're married. Get your sexual chocolate if you're married or single. Do the devotions. And when you do it, guess what? This is cool. You'll be registered to win this beautiful bedroom suit. If you're single, you can win it or marry a married couple. All right. I just want to tell you that. Woo! Man. Man, I've I've spoken overtime. No, I'm not. I still got five minutes left. Feels like I've spoken for a long time. Anyway, thank you guys for paying attention. Okay, sexual chocolate. They're telling me when you buy. Oh, yeah, thank you. I'm sorry. All right. Now. Okay, now, now, now. I want to have a prayer. I want to pray for every person here. And then we'll move into our offering. God, you're so good. You're so awesome. Thank you for every person here. Lord, you brought us here for a reason. And that reason is to hear and to experience what you have to say to us. I pray for every, every marriage here. Lord, I pray for the next several weeks. Some, God, who need counseling, who need help, need to go into a counselor's office, a Christian counselor's office, and get help. Others, God, I know you'll motivate and stimulate to take their marriage to the next level. Lord, I bless every single marriage, my marriage. May we continue to keep it sharp and relevant and may it continue to glorify you. I pray for the singles here. I pray for the students here. And I pray that we would just give our sexuality God to you totally and completely. And Lord, if there's someone here at one of our campuses down in Miami, Dallas or Fort Worth or Plano or maybe you're watching this online if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never said, you know what Jesus, I realize that That you've been pursuing me that you love me unconditionally just say I do to him right now just say Jesus I do to you I give my life to you Lord welcome to my world hey if you prayed that prayer that's the greatest thing that you'll ever do and as we end this prayer by saying amen let's clap for so many people who made so many decisions